Let's take our Bibles and find Hebrews 11 today. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16, and then we're going to jump down and pick up verses 20 through 22. A couple of weeks ago, we dealt with verses 17 through 19. So we're piecing this thing together in this short section of Hebrews 11, talking about forward faith. And uh, the whole impetus of this series is that we would have a faith that... And I don't think I can say it this way, but I'm going to try to explain it this way. That we would have a faith that isn't stagnant. Someone taught me years ago, you're either growing closer to the Lord or growing further away from him. But you're never standing still. In our spiritual walk, we are never really stagnant. We're either getting closer or further away. To translate that, our faith is either growing or it is weakening, but it's not just simply maintaining. And our goal in this series, as we look at Hebrews 11 and the author here, is to take our faith forward. And I'm asking you to consider, what are you seeking the Lord to do in your life? Where is it that you need him to show up? How is it that you need to see his presence and his promises be active in your life? Maybe, maybe the question isn't what I need God to do, but what I need to do. What does my response need to be? Where do I need to be faithful? So today, I want to talk about a focused faith. Someone told me years ago, if you will... Narrow your focus, your broaden your horizon. Sometimes we can look too broadly. That we can consider this Christian life as if everything is in one pot. It's like making a stew. And you just toss everything in and hope it comes out all right. I want to talk today about a focused faith. About Faith, not just that God will supply and not just that I'll get through and not that I'll be able to pay my bills or whatever it may be, but a faith that looks beyond here, that looks beyond today. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard to trust the Lord in a climate in which we live. Sometimes it's easy to lose our focus. You let certain trials and circumstances come our way and we begin to wonder God, what are you doing? Anybody, be honest, anybody ever wondered that? Have any of you ever thought what I've thought? Well, you know, Lord, if you would talk to me, I could give you some suggestions. <laughs> if you would just listen to me, I could tell you a whole lot better way for this thing to turn out. He never does take up my suggestions because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are greater than my thoughts. And aren't you glad Aren't you glad that the Lord knows better? Faith is believing simply what God has said is true, even when everything around us doesn't. Faith is believing that what God said is true is true, even when everything around us doesn't. One of my favorite pastors from the previous century, J.C. Ryle, he's made this quote. He said, we must endeavor to pass through this world like people who are not yet at home and are not so troubled about the fare they meet 
with on the road or at the inn. Blessed are they who feel like pilgrims and strangers in this life and whose best things are all yet to come. Isn't that that sweet? We're pilgrims and strangers. We're aliens. But the very best that we can pray for, the very best that we can hope for, the very best that we can ever experience is not in our houses, is not in our bank accounts, is not in our friendships and our relationships and our vocations. The very, very best that you and I will ever, ever have is yet future. Because one day, those of us who know him as Lord will be holding face to face and we shall be like him. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The old pastor walked up to three little boys one time. And he said, how many of you little guys would like to go to heaven? And the first little boy spoke up and said, not me. And the pastor said, well, why don't you want to go to heaven? He said, well, I want to go. I just don't want to go today. He said, it sounded like you were getting a trip together and I didn't want to go today. Some of us, we approach heaven that way. We think it sounds good one day, but we don't want it now. We don't want to pray Revelation 22. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because we think the best that we're going to have is here on this earth. But if you and I really believe the best is yet to come, if you and I really believe that heaven is better than this earth, that the presence of God is better than the presence here, if that was really our heart and soul and focus, we would really be going... Come on, come on, take me home. I fear many of us, we think of heaven as the place and the opportunity to be unburdened of this earth, to be unshackled from pain and hardship and trial and difficulty. And while heaven will be all those things, those are the lesser things to look forward to. Heaven will be with Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord, and we'll see him face to face. Heaven will not just be about streets of gold and mansions and and clear crystal waters and gates of pearl. It will be about serving the only one that matters. So faithfulness is going to require a real focused intentionality this morning. Where we tend to block everything out and we just focus on one thing. Where we start to live with a certain end and a destination in mind. Don't answer the question out loud, but answer it personally. Has anyone this morning when you got up went, this could be the day. (laughs) It could be today that I see him. Did anyone get just a little bit excited that he could come today? We go, well, I've heard that all of my life. He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. He's coming. Living in faith endures even to the end, doesn't it?
living in faith is regulated by our promises that God has made that he cannot break. Living in faith is realizing we're just a traveler, we're a sojourner, we're only passing through. So when we get to this section of Hebrews, our writer is setting the scene and giving us principles of don't get too comfortable. <laughs> don't unpack all the boxes. There's a better place coming. Matter of fact, when you look at it, we, we'll read it all in, in a few moments, but if you pull out a phrase out of verse 13, it says that we are foreigners and temporary residents. I just love that phrase, temporary residents of this earth. Verse 16 talks about these, these great patriarchs of ours, and it says that they desired a better place, a better place than where we are. And then he names it, and that place is a heavenly one. See, I think we think too much that the good life is here and now and not enough about the promised joys of heaven. We focus on what Christ can do for us here. And heaven, hear me, heaven does not govern the way we live and the way we think. But it should. Do I get a witness? But it should. Remember me saying the other day that we should be heavenly minded? You remember the adage, the adage is critical and says that they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I just don't think that's really possible. When we fix our gaze and our eyes and our goals and our dreams and our passion and our faith on that which is yet to come, it makes all this feel temporary, doesn't it? Sue and I, at Christmas time, we were going through boxes. I think we will have boxes for the rest of our life since this move. We finally know where they all are. We just don't know what's in them. I'm hoping we can not unpack them for a couple years and then we can decide we'll just get rid of them. But have you ever lived in a temporary residence? Maybe you lived in a hotel for a period of time. Maybe it's just been a temporary rental and you never fully unpack because you know this isn't home. Hey folks, I think we're a bit too comfortable and we're a bit too settled and we've unpacked a little more than we should ever unpack, thinking that this world is where it's going to be. So let me give you this first principle out of our text, which I think helps us as we navigate through these patriarchs. They understood what we need to understand to live as strangers and exiles on this earth. This world is not my home. Say that with me. This world is not my home. Do that one more time. This world is not my home. When we get that anchored into our hearts and minds, then we'll view this earth truly as strangers and exiles. Our guys that we look at this morning, they lived according to their faith. And when you study these guys, they had this great, tremendous faith. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Joseph. These are the big boys of the Old Testament, aren't they? These are the heavy hitters. And each time it goes by faith and by faith. And yet they never saw what was promised. They never entered the land. They never experienced the milk and honey. 
And they never saw the innumerable descendants. And yet it says that they died according to their faith. So what happens if God does not meet you today at the axis of your need? If God does not step in and deliver you from the point of trial and difficulty? If you never see today the fullness of all the promises that God has given us, would it be able to be said of you what it was said of them, that they died well because they died living according to their faith? It means they never gave up. They never backed out. When you go into Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at just verses 13 and 14 for a moment. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that they were promised. But they saw them from a distance. Underline that. They saw them from a distance. You know what that means? They knew they would be a reality. They knew it was going to come to pass. Why? Because God said it would. They saw the promises from a distance. It's in here somewhere. There it is. The promises greeted them. And confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of this earth. Now those who say such, such things make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. <laughs> I just love it. I was down in, in Tennessee last week. Had my brother and his wife with us. And you know, you go in these shops and you're trying to talk to different people. And they always go, so where are you from? It was a trip for me because never in my wildest dreams did I think I was going to say, I'm from West Virginia. That just has a different ring to it altogether. I don't know where we were, but I told someone I was from West Virginia and I loved the response. I went, oh, you're one of those. And then it was funny. He said, have you visited the distillery yet? <laughs> no. So funny. But I tell you what, I'm a West Virginian. I'm a West Virginian. And this is my temporary homeland. I hope to never leave. I hope to never move. I hope you all have to put up with my dead bones right here. This is my homeland, but it's temporary. I have another one coming. I hope to only make one more move in my life where I lay down the temporal and I put on the eternal and I see him face to face and I hear my father say, I hope. I don't know that I will, but I hope to hear my father say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. Is that your prayer? Abraham, back in Genesis 12, is told to leave his homeland and because of God's promises, he packs it all up. We've already studied that. And he takes off. You can go back to verse 9 of this chapter and see why he moved and how he moved. And here's the reality. God's promises disrupted the rest of Abraham's life. Here's my question to you and I today. Are the promises of God disrupting anything in your life today? Or are you so settled? Are you so at home? that you're really not looking for what's to come. You're not looking for the eastern sky to split. You're not listening for a trumpet to sound. You're not looking to be called, as the old hymn would say, up yonder. 
Is this your focus? I think instead, we get focused in this world with blending in, with fitting in, with looking like, and even acting like. And can I just tell you, as Christ followers, we shouldn't fit in in this world. We should look different. We should dress different. We should talk different. And if they bid us, we should taste different. We just shouldn't fit in. We're strangers and aliens. It's a temporary world. The world pursues different pleasures and goals than we do. The world laughs at jokes that we find repugnant. The world lives for a life and we live for an eternity. The world lives as if there is no God and we live to please God. Is that your heart? Is that your mind? Is that where you're headed? Can you say what Paul said in Philippians? We are not like those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Rather, our citizenship is in heaven. I have a king. Do you have a king today? And my king has a kingdom. And I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And it's not here. But one day, one day, Maybe today I'll see him face to face. Learn to live how? Learn to live as strangers, aliens, exiles in this earth. Secondly, learn how to seek heaven. Learn how to seek heaven because God is preparing it for us. If you go back to the text and you pick it up in verse 15, it says, if, if they were thinking about where they come from, they would have had the opportunity to return but they now, circle those three words, but they now, but now, they desire a better place. Anybody want a better place? Yes. Anybody feel the shackles of this earth and this world and the test of this culture? Anybody? Is anybody looking forward to heaven? Yes. It says they desired a better place, a heavenly one. And then I love the last phrase of verse 16. Now notice what it says. They weren't focused here. They desired a heavenly place. And then the very next word is therefore. Because of that mindset, because of that position, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. There are a, a couple big thoughts out of verse 16 that there's, there's a better place and there's a prepared city and there's a desire that seeks and there's a God that will not be ashamed of us. Those are all big thoughts. I could do a four-week series just on that little verse. Heaven is so much better than anything we could imagine here. Do I get a witness? Yes. You go, well, how do I know? Because God's preparing it for you. Scripture says, what good thing would the father withhold from his children? You know what the answer to that question is? Nothing. Nothing. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Why? So that where I am, you get to be there also. Is there anyone or anything in this earth 
that you desire more than the presence of Jesus? And I, and I know the church answer. I've known it all of my life. I've grown up in this thing. I know that when the preacher asks that question, is there anything I desire more than Jesus? I know the right answer is no. If the, if the preacher asks, what do you want most in this world? I know the right answer is I want to, I want to have a relationship with Jesus and I want to go to heaven. How many of you know that? Uh-huh. Me too. And then life gets so daily. And troubles get so real. And eternity feels so distant. And the present feels so present that I know that my goal should be heaven. I know that my mind should be on the things above, that I know that this really isn't all there is. But all of my culture and my friends and those that press in on me are so easy to start to build my little kingdom here so that I keep up, so that I look right, so that I have certain things. And I can assure you there's nothing wrong with things. Again, what good things does the father withhold from his children? If the father gives it to you, enjoy it and use it for his glory and use it as a testimony of his grace. The father think, or folks, things on this earth are wood, hay, and stubble and they'll pass away, won't they? I wonder, are you laying up treasures here or laying up treasures in heaven? How do I lay up treasures in heaven? By service, by relationship, by gospel testimonies, by a forward faith. I can assure you heaven is better than here. I've never been there. But the Bible tells me in Revelation there'll be no curse, there'll be no death, There'll be no sorrow and there's no pain. You know what that means? It's better. (laughs) Isn't that right? It's better. It'll be beautiful beyond our wildest imagination. I was asked the other day, do you think those will really be gates of pearl? I mean, is it like too big pearl? I mean, is that really what that is? I don't know. Scripture says there'll be gates of pearl. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be beautiful. Streets of gold, we can think about all those things, but you know what's going to make heaven beautiful? It's not mansions and not gold and crystal rivers. It's going to be Jesus. And these guys, these patriarchs, they're looking for an architect and a builder, a city that's made by God. Do you realize that if God prepares it for you and I, it'll fit you perfectly? It'll be perfectly suited for everything that you and I need. So you and I need to seek heaven. Do you hear me? We need to seek heaven because we desire to be with Jesus. That's what the patriarchs did. They longed for a better country. They recognized temporary. They recognized that they were exiles. And because they didn't focus here, you remember, they lived in tents all of their life. How would you love to live in a tent all your life? 
Can you imagine going home from church today, back to the tent? Every day? Raising all these kids in tents? Shoot me. I'll tell you one thing. If I had to live in a tent, I wouldn't be married. Someone, not to mention any names, Sue, someone <laughs> thinks there has to be air conditioning and indoor facilities. She would have never made it in the Old Testament. These cats that we're talking about, they lived in tents all of their life. Why? Because this earth was temporary. They weren't unpacking. They weren't unpacking. They were getting ready to go to the next place. And because of that mindset, it says in the end of verse 16, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Wow. He's not ashamed. When God met Moses at the burning bush, remember that story? I love that story. He said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's the guys we're studying. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what he's saying? Exactly what the writer of Hebrews just said in verse 16. I am not ashamed to be their God. Imperfect men, every one of them. Every one of them struggled. Jacob struggled a lot. And yet, God says, I'm their God. It reminds me of 1 John Write this reference down, 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, see how great a love of the Father has bestowed on us that, that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Oh, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. But we know that when He appears... Whew, that little who wasn't in the text. That was just me adding it. When we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself because he is pure. Oh, that's a great text. <laughs> that's a great text. We will be like him and we'll see him. So live as strangers and aliens here on this earth and seek heaven because God's prepared it for you and he can't wait to call you home. And the last thing I give you today is learn how to trust God to fulfill his plan and his purpose. You gotta learn how to trust God in the difficult days. When you jump down to verses 20 through 22, so again, don't have time to unpack this text like I would love. But it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. What in the world does this text have to tell us? You got three guys here that we could have big sermon series on every one of these guys. 
And when you start to unpack their homes and all the things in their lives, they're a hot mess, I tell you. It's a hot mess of everything that takes place. You think about the blessing of Jacob and Esau. Do you remember that? That Esau was firstborn. He should have gotten the blessing. But Rebekah tricked him and wound up with Jacob getting the blessing. Well, God had already said Jacob's going to be blessed. Well, what do you do when Esau gets a blessing that he shouldn't have gotten and Jacob gotten a blessing that he shouldn't have gotten, but yet God said, I'm going to bless Jacob over blessing Esau. And what in the world is with one being blessed above the other? Because I don't know about you. I've been taught I've got to love all my kids equally. So Randy, we'll just put you on the spot. Just which one of your boys do you love the most? Yeah. And the boys begin jockeying for position. How, how could one receive the blessing and the other not? But when one does get the blessing, what do you do with that? And then they show up in Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, and go, well, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Good grief. And don't, do you notice? It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Do you know what that concerning the things to come essentially means? The blessing about their future. About their future. All right. How many in the room have children? Anybody? Either in the house or out of the house. It really doesn't matter. You have children? How many of you know children? Anybody in the room know children? All right. Otherwise, you're a recluse and we have another message for you at a different time. <laughs> Sue and I have two kids. I don't know if you know it yet or not. We have one grandchild. <laughs> we have a son-in-law and we have a daughter-in-law. And we pray for these every single day. And I pray the Lord will bless them and I pray the Lord will provide for them and the Lord will meet their needs and the Lord will do all these things. And then I catch myself as dad and I start to map out what I think their future should look like. Lord, help them to make this decision so they don't fall in that pothole. Help them to do this and not do that. Help. Can I just stop here? How good are you about praying for the future of your kids and your grandkids? Do you pray that they'll know Christ at an early age? This morning, touched my heart. Miss Diane was praying for my little grandson. And she not only prayed for him physically, but she prayed that he would know Christ at a very early age. Thank you. Do you pray that way for your family? That's what we learn in that text. You get over to this, this guy, Jake. You remember Jacob? He wrestled with God. I mean, he just fought God at every corner. He was the argumentative one. If the Lord said go, he wanted to know why. He wanted to know when. He wanted to know how long it was going to take. What that, what's it going to look like when he gets there? He needed to have all the details. Did anybody in the room relate to that? You, you OCD people? <laughs> Faith is learning how to trust God and not take control 
of every person and every event. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. But look what happened. And he worshipped. And does anyone have this highlighted or bolded in your, in your text? It says, leaning on the top of his staff. Why in the world does it tell us that when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, his grandsons, that he worshiped God and he just leaned on top of his staff. What an odd phrase. But not really. Because it's a simple reminder that he was trusting God for all future and all plans. And you know what happened? When he started to lean upon his staff and he started to worship God, he stopped fighting God. Have you stopped fighting him yet? Have you leaned upon the word of God yet and trusted him with all things? And I've got to wrap this sermon up. By faith, Joseph. As he was nearing the end of his life, he mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. This is such, such interesting to me. 400 years, 400 years before captivity, Joseph says, guess what, guys? You're going to be strangers and aliens and you're going to wind up living in Egypt and it's not going to be good. And do you remember when, when Joseph is, is second in, in control and in power in Egypt and his father Jacob dies? Jacob had given him instructions, take my bones back to my home country. Remember that? Take my bones and go back and bury them back in the land that God had promised to us. But you read here at the end of verse 22, Joseph is nearing the end of his life and he tells the story that people have no idea about that there's going to be an exodus one day. And that exodus means there's going to be a captivity, but there's also going to be a deliverance and they're going to go from exile to home. There's a message in there. You and I are in captivity today. We are exiled today, but there's coming a deliverance where we will go from captivity to home. Jacob wanted his bones taken to heaven, to Israel when he died. Joseph says in this text, don't worry about when I die, taking my bones then. Just take them with you when you're delivered. Take them with you at the Exodus. What a great insight. This man has. Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust God. I'll rephrase it. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an un-God, to a known God. Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know the verse? How many of you quote it? You're in difficulty and you're in struggle and you're in peril and life is difficult and we, we roll out, don't we? We can throw that verse down in a minute, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know, I can preach now, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. How many of you know that verse this morning? 
How many of you have quoted that verse this morning? And isn't it a great verse? And we roll it out here in this earth because everything is pressed in on us and we're struggling and there's difficulty. And we roll out Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans God has for me. I know he's going to prosper me and he's not going to harm me. I know he's going to give me a hope and I know he's going to give me a future. And I can tell you right now that hope and that future is heaven. It's not here. If you always try to apply Jeremiah 29, 11 to this earth, you will always be severely disappointed. Does God know the plans for us here? Yes, he does. Does he have a future for us here? Yes, he does, but it's temporary. Why? Because we're only strangers and aliens passing through and heaven's our home. I can't wait to get there. And I hope to take a whole busload with me. So how do you apply this text? A couple things. I want you to keep in mind every single day that God is preparing a place for you. Is that good news? Where is he? He's getting the house ready. Anybody get your house cleaned up when family's coming? You ought to see Sue and I on a Sunday afternoon when connect groups come into our house. You don't dare open a closet. You could lose your life. But we're stuffing stuff everywhere and we're trying to make it look like we got all our stuff together. Company's coming. We're going to clean up. I tell you, God's preparing a place and he's getting it ready. He's getting it ready. And soon, soon, he's going to say, come on home. Let me give you something else that we find out of, really out of verses 15 and 16. God cares about your children and their future. As much as you and I should pray and intercede on their behalf, I want you to know this morning that God cares about them. And maybe the best thing you can remember today, because Satan will tell you the lie, that you're not worthy and you're not fit and you're not lovable. The best thing you can hear this morning is God is not ashamed to be your God. Jonathan Edwards said one time that God is the highest good and the enjoyment of Him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. And I don't know what you're looking for today for contentment, but anything less than Jesus will never satisfy. Do I get a witness? Anything less than Jesus will never satisfy. So do you know him today? Is there a point in time where you've accepted him to be your savior? You've received his forgiveness and you've surrendered your life to him and you've prayed what Jesus prayed in a garden one night. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Have you done that? If not, the Bible says where you sit today. You can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And I love the verse, don't you? Verse John 1, and I love it. You will be saved, rescued, delivered, secured. And a place will be prepared for you so that one day when you leave this home, you go home eternity with him. You see him face to face and you become like him. Doesn't that sound good? I don't mean to belabor this, but for some reason this verse has come to mind. 
And I don't know if I've shared it with you before, but I'll share it again. The Apostle Paul writes in one of the epistles, and he asks God to deliver him of the body of death. Remember, you're familiar with that verse? Deliver me from this body of death. You need to understand the background of it as we wrap this message up. In that culture and in those days, if you were a murderer, if you had killed somebody, the death sentence that was given to you is they would take the body of the person that you had murdered and strap it onto your back. And you would wear that body everywhere you went. To the bed and to the shower. To the table and to the workplace. You wore a dead, decaying, rotten, stinking body on your back. Until eventually, the disease of death overtook your body. And it became your death sentence. Is that not a gruesome picture? So when Paul writes, deliver me of this body of death. He says, Lord, would you cast off this old, dead, decaying, stinking, killing body off of my back and set me free? And John 8 says, when the Son of Man sets you free, free indeed. And you're not only free of the shackles of debt and you're free of the shackles of sin, you're free of the shackle of death. But you're also free of the weight of this life. Because this ain't home. It's bad English, good preaching. This isn't home. Heaven is. Father, today would you help us to cast our guise, our gaze upon you to not be so shackled so weighted down and so pressured in to the culture in which we live I pray that every one of us in this room today will change our thinking that we are temporary residents here this is not home it was never designed to be home and it never will be. But Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise today that you are preparing a home for us. And that you have already, you have already prepared the way. You've already laid the path through your cross and your death and your forgiveness. And now you prepare the dwelling where we'll be with you. Fully fully set free of all this world tries to entangle us with. Oh God, give us a new vision and a fresh faith and help our eyes to look to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.